0: This is Jennifer Kennedy, the lead for quality at CHAP, and welcome to our specialty CHAPcast where we're going to talk about age-friendly care at home. And I've got my uh, good friend and colleague, Denise Stanford, uh, here with me, and we're going to sort of flip the tables again, and um, instead of me being the host and the um, uh, asker of questions uh, today, Denise is going to fill that role. How are you doing, Denise? Denise.
1: I'm doing great. I love getting the opportunity to grill you about this stuff.
0: Oh, my gosh. All right. I hope I can uh, live up to the expectation.
1: (laughs) Well, um, one of the things I realized when we started our last episode is we didn't really tell our listeners what we are doing, what CHAP is doing with Age Friendly Care at Home. Will you fill us in on what that is? Absolutely. That's a great point. We just gave them all the information
0: to uh, pique their interest about what age-friendly care is. But you're right. We didn't talk about what we at CHAP are actually doing about it. So um, just to, to uh, backtrack for a couple of seconds, we talked about how age-friendly care is a response to um, the uh, baby boomer population or this large population of older adults aging out at relatively the same time and looking at what they really need for their care. What we at CHAP Uh, Are doing and why we're really interested in this is that baby boomers want to stay at home, Denise. They want to age in place. And, um, that means that yes, they'll go into inpatient uh, care when they have to, but they want services to come to them. And we know that in the community health realm, we have many types of services that will come out to the home. Home health care. We've got home care services. We've got therapy and, you know, we've got hospice that will come at end of life. Uh, and there are many more that I haven't even mentioned here, but, Uh, Having um, these services come to where the patient lives is an ideal uh, way to bring age-friendly care to them whenever they have a touch with the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So what we've done here at CHAP is um, worked with um, IHI and um, the John Hartford Foundation to secure a grant to take age-friendly care basically to the home. And we've developed specialty standards of care, which we uh, will offer to any provider, it can be home health, hospice, et cetera, who is interested in becoming certified, a certified age-friendly care at home provider. And as we mentioned in the, um, the last podcast, there's a value to that we know that age friendly care uh, uh systems which are you know hospitals and extended systems uh there's good pickup in terms of the interest in age friendly care and adopting age friendly care as a system so a home care provider or a home-based care provider, uh, really um, has great value when they come to a system and say, I want to partner with you uh, to help you care for your patients when they come away from your system and go back home to where they live and where they want to be. Hey, and guess what? We're age-friendly care certified at home. So um, does that sort of feel like we're covering where we're going and why we're doing this. And it's really exciting. I'm excited about it.
1: It is exciting. And so this is going to be something that our customers, accreditation customers, can ask for in addition to their accreditation. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know,
0: I I see this, and we're going to talk about the 4Ms um, in just a couple minutes, but this really dovetails brilliantly with what you're doing, which with with what you're already doing, whether you're um, a home care provider or a home health provider or a hospice provider, palliative care provider. This is, as we said, when we last spoke, leveling up your patient-centered care.
1: That's awesome. So um, as you mentioned today, we really wanna focus heavily on these four M's and, and what they really mean in an application to the healthcare being provided. So can you walk us back through the four M's and tell us a little bit more about each one? Yes,
0: I would be delighted to do that. So we mentioned the four M's in our previous podcast and the four M's are an organizational framework and they are developed uh, as evidence-based practices to achieve um the most optimal outcomes that can be achieved. So these four M's in this framework, when they're consistently practiced as part of everyday care that you're giving your older adults, you're going to have better outcomes with that adults in terms of whatever outcomes you're looking for. And that would be including their satisfaction uh, as it relates to their experience with you as a healthcare provider so the the key drivers when we're talking about age friendly care in this framework are we have to always start with assessment. We have to use that lens that four m lens when we're actually assessing each and every patient uh, that comes to you and is in your care. And then we need to act on that assessment, meaning that we've got to incorporate the application of the 4Ms to that patient's individualized uh, plan of care um, as it is meaningful and as it is evidence-based for them.
1: Okay. So starting with uh, the what matters, can you walk us through that? Yeah, and don't you think that's the most
0: important thing to ask somebody? What matters to you? It doesn't matter whether you're, um, you know, you've just had a surgery and you've come home and you're in a home health care and you got somebody who's gonna come in, maybe a uh, nurse coming to look at your wound and maybe getting a little physical therapy along with that. What matters most to you? That should be the first question out of the provider's mouth. Uh, when they walk in after, uh, of course, introductions, all of that. But when we're talking about um, even, uh, you know, before we start a formalized assessment that dovetails with your EMR, we should be saying, what matters here for you? What do you want um, to accomplish? What uh, do you want to get out of this experience? And that's where we've got to start. And that's where we've got to keep the focus. If we're really doing good patient-centered care. Documenting what that response is and then communicating that to the rest of the care team, it has to be key because if we're doing good coordinated um, uh, care and care planning, we can't just keep information to ourselves. We have to communicate it with every person in that care team that's going to have contact with that older adult and their
1: family. So much of healthcare in the past has been providers like telling patients what they need to do or have to do. So this is such a a welcome shift to really thinking of that patient first and, and the things that are most important to them. And then, like you said, really being very mindful about incorporating the whole care team, including the family or other support systems that would be involved in that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, asking someone what matters opens the door up to shared decision-making, which, you know, maybe you need to educate somebody about what shared decision-making is and what it looks like. Um, maybe they're not familiar with that or they don't even know they have a right to that. So that, you know, is the good, um, I like to call it the springboard into those conversations of shared decision-making. So I've read a lot over um, this past year, Denise, about um, uh, baby boomer uh, generation, and there's a lot of different studies and articles out there that say this is really the first generation in the U.S. that actually want to direct their health care. They want to make choices. They know what they want. And um, they're, they're really engaged to communicate that for the most part, uh, about what they want and what they don't want. So uh, if you think about think about your grandmother, you know, "Oh, the doctor, the doctor told me to do this, so I have to do it." Well, you, you don't. Really, unless you think it's the best thing for you, but they would never question a physician. Um, you know, your grandmother or our, our great grandmothers would never question a physician or say, "Hey, I, I think I want to do this instead of that." So this is really, this is an interesting time for healthcare because this is a, a whole new generation that is really um, invested in directing their own healthcare.
1: Yeah. You know, I like what you said just then about um, how it could be an opportunity to educate, because the one thing about this is it doesn't mean that just because we've identified what matters to the patient, that that means the patient is then going to just do whatever they want without our direction or intervention as healthcare providers. It means we're going to say, okay, Um, But there are consequences for that decision, whatever that might be, and really talk them through that and ensure that we are making the best decision as a team um, about what's best for that patient while honoring what matters to them.
0: Yeah, you've got it exactly right. That's the recipe we want. Um, You know, the... You go home uh, at the end of the day as, um, as a healthcare provider or a clinician, but you know the, the patient is living with whatever they're dealing with 24-7, so they should really have a say in how they want things to go. <laughs>
1: yeah, they'll be much more engaged in the care that way too, as, as I think we've seen. So moving into the conversation, further into the conversation about the M's, let's talk a little bit more about medication while we're on that same topic.
0: So this is where we're co- really connecting the dots as soon as we know what matters to that patient and we do a good um uh, medication reconciliation of what is on deck. sometimes they bring out shopping bags full of uh, drugs and um, all kinds of stuff, you know, put them on the coffee table when you're in there doing your reconciliation um going through all of it and um seeing what they're actually taking. Um, it is really a key step. And then um, seek what we can get rid of. If there are um, high-risk medications that we can get rid of out of their daily consumption, um, let's do it. Um, if there are medications they don't like because it makes them fuzzy and they can't do what matters to them, then we maybe get rid of it and think about a replacement, if they even need a replacement. So deprescribing after a good medication reconciliation is is, is um, a, a process that ties into this 4M uh, application. But again, the what matters is driving uh, the medication assessment, and then again, the prescription.
1: Right. So the goal with this then is to make sure that the medication they're taking isn't interfering with what matters to them or with their mentation or, or mobility, which we're going to move into. Absolutely. You've got it right. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about mobility then.
0: So again, you know, part of your assessment as um, a clinician is to see if there are, are any mobility issues. So you'd be screening for any kind of limitations, again, documenting Um, where they have strengths, um, focusing on wellness, and uh, also looking at functional limitations. And we have to make sure that we're looking at it with um, the idea of maintaining and intervening uh, to maintain safe mobility for that patient. And, um, you know, there are a lot of different um, screening tools out there that one can use, you can choose, uh, but you need to really in order to do this right, you need to use evidence-based screening tools. And there are many out there. Again, you know, if the what matters is that I, uh, I wanna be able to walk my dog in the morning, then we have to figure out how we can make that happen um, from a mobility standpoint.
1: Okay, great. And how about mentation? How does that tie in? So that's another dot in
0: the framework. You should, as a clinician, be screening for any kind of cognitive um, impairment or changes with an older adult. Things like, um, depression or something you should be screening for. Um, and, uh, depending on, on your patient, uh, you know, you may even be looking for, um, early manifestation of dementia. So again, good evidence-based screening tools are available out there. We want to identify any kind of depression or cognitive impairment as early as possible so that there can be um either prevention um or treatment to manage um whatever symptoms are identified in the assessment. Documenting, sharing again across the care team is is really um these are key pieces of uh utilization of that framework.
1: Right. Well, sometimes I think it's really helpful um, for people to have a little bit of a case study to apply these to. So we talked um, about a case study in our first episode, we talked about Mrs. Chase. Can you remind us about Mrs. Chase? And and we'll do a little bit more on her applying these forums to her situation? Absolutely. I love Mrs. Chase.
0: Mrs. Chase, she's a very spunky lady, spunky 73-year-old lady um, who uh, had some health issues. Um, She had a recent hospitalization for pneumonia. Um, She's had a first episode of heart failure um, that was tied to her, uh, her pneumonia she's on her own, but she's independent. She likes to um, be at her pottery wheel as equally as much as being in her kitchen. And she's uh, a part of her community. She volunteers with her community. So those are the what matters to her, Denise, in terms of um, her life and her lifestyle.
1: Okay, so let's take a look a little bit more about her situation.
0: So she has to take some medications and um, she she doesn't really like to, but she knows she has to take them. But she wants to see how that can maybe change in order to not interfere with um, her what matters. Again, being independent, being uh, out there in her community, doing her pottery and doing her cooking. Uh, She does have some support. Um, She gets help when she needs uh, from her uh, sons uh, who live uh, not immediately um, uh, close to her, but they're available if she needs some help. So again, when we're looking at um, this framework, we want to do that assessment. We know what matters to Mrs. Chase now. And um, now we've got to connect the dots in terms of individualizing Mrs. Uh, Chase's plan of care.
1: Okay. So let's walk through that.
0: When we, and, and we should, as clinicians, be individu- in the, individualizing, boy, that's... That's a long word to get out sometimes, um, each and every patient that we touch. So we know that she wants to be independent. She wants to strengthen her heart. She wants to participate in her community. So we need to connect the dot to the medications. So we know she has to take some medications, but we want to make sure that they're as streamlined as possible to meet her health care needs and not interfere with her what matters. Um Also, we have to look at connecting the mentation dot. She doesn't have any indications of cognitive impairment, but that doesn't mean that we go, okay, great. Great, Mrs. Chase. We have to continuously assess for any kind of manifestation of symptoms for the time that we are going to be providing care to her. And then giving her tools after we leave her on her own to say, you know, you should go to your doctor X amount of times for uh, screening or whatever, you know, makes sense for her. Then the mobility really ties back in with her what matters and connects that dot as well, because she uh, wants to strengthen her heart. So she says, you know, can I do any kind of cardiac training um, that will help me? Can I do that? Can I go there? Um, can I take walks with my friends? Um, can I drive? Um she wants to to do all of these things because she is independent. And um, by knowing that what matters to her, then we can help her with her mobility issues, if she has any, um, to make sure that she has safe mobility.
1: Mrs. Chase seems like a pretty motivated patient.
0: She is. I, I've had some Mrs. Chases in, in my career. And um, they are feisty. But, you know, uh, the, the patients who really know what they want and we can, um, or I could help them achieve that. I I have to say are my most memorable patients. Well, we look at goals of care for people like Mrs. Chase, and, and we have to, again, use the, what matters as the springboard into developing an individualized plan of care. So in her case, uh, Strengthening her heart. What kind of interventions are we going to do for her or help her achieve? Uh, Restoring cardiopulmonary function. So maybe the cardiac rehab is going to help her not only strengthen her heart, but also help with her lung capacity. Also learning everything about um, her daily meds taking them on time and then seeing if over time she can drop some out depending on what her physical status looks like. Also, um, get making sure that her, um, her need to be part of her community, um, uh, to be independent, her spiritual needs, all of these things, um, we're going to help her achieve by applying the 4 ends. Can she, um, uh, uh, ambulate or walk safely? Can she uh, drive her car to go to her community activities? Are the medications interfering with any of that? Um, you know, continuously assessing for uh, cognitive impairment that might interfere with that. So we're using um, evidence based practices, assessment, and then intervention in order to help her achieve the goals that she wants to achieve.
1: You know, when we're talking about it like this, it just seems like such an obvious approach to care. Um, and I know it hasn't always been, but I think what I, what I reflect on about this is that I can't imagine a patient like Mrs. Chase being happy with any other approach to care besides this.
0: No, I don't think so. Um, she knows what she wants. Um, she, uh, has developed a lifestyle that works for her. And it, it f- for me, it doesn't feel like a Mrs. Chase doesn't want to be hampered down with health issues or have that interfere with what she wants to accomplish in her life. Um, and that's great that Mrs. Chase came to us like that. You know, she's fiercely independent. She knows what she wants and what she doesn't want. But you're also going to have patients that don't know that they can say, I don't want this, or I want this, and we can work with them to achieve those things. So like you said a little while ago, Denise, there's a piece of education, big piece of education that has to happen with every life that you touch when you go out to somebody's home and you're going to offer them care.
1: Well, what a beautiful thing, too, to be able to just ask someone that question about what matters to them and really listen to them when they talk to you about that. Um, there's, there's just no way that's not going to improve their patient experience. And like you said earlier, really provide differentiation for organizations that are implementing this and, and getting better quality scores, better patient satisfaction overall, and obviously main goal, just having better outcomes for their patients.
0: Absolutely. And isn't that what we want for them? We want them to have the best outcome and experience possible. Yeah, that's great for me as a provider and my scores, but that's not why we do this. We want them to have the best possible outcome.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's the end of this module, and I just want to thank you for walking us a little bit further along that 4M framework. Uh, We do have one more episode that we have planned at the moment. I'm sure we'll have more down the line as we identify more needs um, for learning material in this area, but we're going to really be diving in on the value of age-friendly care at home and some of the quality components that have been incorporated into this in our next episode.
0: We absolutely will. Thanks, Denise.